Contractors might be forgiven if they feel like second-class citizens if and when everyone returns to the federal office. That's thanks to procedures required by a White House executive order. With what to expect, we turn to attorney Amy Conway, a partner at the Stinson Law Firm. Ms. Conway, good to have you on. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Tom. Let's begin with the vaccine mandate for federal employees. A bunch of paper has come out of the White House, really a stream since January, most recently last week or a couple of weeks ago. And there is yet no specific vaccine mandate for contractors, although it's strongly hinted at. What's your take on what they can expect on that front? Well, Tom, my initial take is that we should take the president at his word that there will be a mandate of sorts. And what we're seeing in the actual executive orders doesn't give us that much clarity. The last round, the executive order from September 9th that applies specifically to government contractors talks about the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force needing to define terms and issue safety protocol by September 24th. So I think we can anticipate that there will be a vaccination mandate. What percentage of contractor employees, what types of employees might be covered remains to be seen. That will be interesting in the definitions because the executive order itself is limited in many ways in what types of contractors this might apply to. Yes. And I think some of the confusion might be that the task force, the Safe Workforce Task Force, they like the word force in there. They do. It's a lot of words. (laughs) Established back in January before the mask mandate idea probably germinated because of the Delta variant spread since then. So you've kind of got out of phase order making here, even though one enables the other. And so right now, then, contractors would need to attest or be tested a test or test, I guess. That kind of goes with Safe Workforce Task Force. Right. And that's the on-site, the people who are going on-site. So the, the previous order and guidance that came out of it were applicable to federal employees and then to contractors who were going on-site. So if you were a government contractor, you're going to a government-controlled worksite, then you have that attestation form that you have to fill out, certifying that you are vaccinated or if you're not. You've got the proof of the negative test from within three days or you're on the testing cycle. So that, in effect right now, is just the people going on site. The new order from last week, from the 9th, is I don't care if you're coming on site now. There's going to be a more broadly applicable right. um, mandate. Because the president was going to meet with some large, famous corporations to get them <laughs> on board with a mandate so that a corporate type of, I don't know, whether there's a mandate, whether the federal government can actually do that or not constitutionally. But suppose there is a general agreement, then contractors might come under that rubric rather than something specific to federal contracting, although there's a contract mechanism to enforce this that is outlined in the September 9th memos. Correct. And I think you're right that a lot of the song and dance here is we anticipate that this type of action will be challenged, right? We've already seen that. And and with previous executive orders and, and all of that, I think part of the power here is getting certain contractors, certain companies to just say, I don't want to deal with it. I'm going to go ahead and implement it anyway. And that accomplishes, you know, the goal, even if ultimately it can't be legally enforced for some of these types of businesses, because they're just they're, you know, the clients I'm working with are feeling very frustrated with just I I don't know what the answers are. I've got employees coming at me from all sides of, you know, opinions on these issues. And in some ways, I've actually seen and heard from some contractors just tell me what to do. Take it out of my hands because I can't keep justifying my decisions to my employees. At least this gives me a 
I'm doing it because I have to kind of rationale. So for the large, even if it's not what I'd like to do, at least I I can stop answering that question, right? And therefore, for the larger contractors, really, they're probably throwing this to their compliance officers. Yes, and that's been also, as you imagine, incredibly burdensome. Like, take the executive order from September 9th. If it is implemented as it is written, you know, it indicates that it only applies to people who are working on site where the government contract work is being performed. Are we going to have different rules at different facilities or for different classes of employees? Most companies, I don't think, love doing that and having people feeling like they're being treated differently, unfairly, et cetera. So there's a lot for the contracting community to think through, even if the ultimate recommendations from the task force are narrower and don't apply to, you know, every employee of every contractor everywhere, there will still be those decisions to make. Do I want to do that? Do I need to do that anyway for employee morale and employee relations reasons? We're speaking with Amy Conway. She's a partner at the Stinson Law Firm. And the other issue is that the executive order is calling on the FAR Council to rewrite rules sometime by October. So is it your sense that if they want to get a mask or mandate or some kind of COVID protection requirement into federal contracting instruments, maybe that's a good way for industry to make itself heard is in that rulemaking process? Yes, Tom, I would definitely encourage contractors to participate in whatever stages of the process are open with the OSHA regs that will be coming out. That's potentially going to be an emergency temporary standard in ETS. There isn't always that opportunity for comment and participation in that process. On this piece for government contractors, you have more of an opportunity, hopefully, to make your voices heard. So I would definitely encourage participation in that process. And is your sense that all of the enforcement or control mechanism will be at the contracting officer level or somewhere else in an agency? You know, that's a really good question, Tom. I think that remains to be seen. And perhaps some of the answer will lie in exactly how far the task force goes with some of these definitions and recommendations. Just frankly, practically speaking, what tools do they have? What manpower do they have to enforce some of these obligations? Hopefully we'll know a lot more as of the 24th. And another open question, I think, too, is if you look at the broad range of issues that the task force can deal with, it's not just masks and vaccines, but physical distancing, the density of employees in federal offices, all these other things, even how people commute and that sort of thing. So uh, I guess my question is, should contractors be concerned with the idea of, say, density in a given facility, since many facilities have more contractors than federal employees? Correct. I don't know that I would go so far as to be concerned, but I would definitely be proactive about reviewing what your current policies and practices are so that if and when we get rulemaking that will require changes, we know what we're actually doing right now. The other thing that proactively I think contractors can do right now is make sure that they do have information about their workers' vaccination status. Most contractors that I've worked with have done this and have been doing this, but there are some that are saying, hey, until I have to do it, I don't want to know it. I think at this point, we know you're going to have to know that information. Exactly what you're going to do with it is a little up in the air still, but I would certainly recommend that you start gathering that data so that you will be able to use it properly once we know what the final rule will be. And looking across the population of contractors and maybe, you know, as a subset, the clients that you have, just the ones you can see, is there a bifurcation, maybe that's too strong a word, between the large that might be publicly traded or the really big contractors and their policies with respect to what they're asking their employees to do versus small business, which may not be traded, which may have less exposure in that sense? 
and maybe culturally they might have a different attitude than the big companies. I don't think bifurcation is too strong of a word at all, Tom. I think, unfortunately, we're so polarized in everything. I'm absolutely seeing that. And it's region of the country. It's employee, um, you know, type of role even. You know, it can vary based on a lot of things. I think certainly the larger contractors who have more resources and probably a more sophisticated like, human resources department and maybe internal legal counsel, they've had policies in place for quite a while that you know will likely require a little bit of tweaking, but certainly they've already got the systems in place and will be able to implement this a little more easily. Whether they you know agree with it or not, they've got the resources to do so. But some of my clients, whether they're smaller or maybe they're even large, but they're in kind of a rural setting, have been really hesitant to do some of these things, even if they want to, because they can't afford to lose employees. We all know what the labor market looks like right now. And if they tell their workforce that they have to get vaccinated, it's a very real concern for a lot of them that they will lose a substantial number of their workers. And that's a really big business problem. So I think I'm seeing a lot of different, not only views on just do I agree with these policies? But even if I do, how do I implement them and still run my business? Well, Mama said there'd be days like this. Amy Conway is a partner at the Stinson Law Firm. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Very nice to talk with you, Tom. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information and something she's written at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, 
you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, Absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federals organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And 
my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, w- WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month, and you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.